We want to live intentionally. We don't want to live with regret. We don't want to live by accident. I'm planning on living a long time. As a 103-year-old and going, oh, I wish when I was 40 that I did this. I don't want to look back upon life with regret. I want to look upon it and go, God, I took the opportunities that you gave me. And if we go throughout the Word of God, we discover time and time again that the Bible aligns and gives us direction for our life. In the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 1, we see a prayer that maybe you prayed something very similar. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We think of our family members, we think of our loved ones, we think of of our neighbors, we think of our work colleagues, we think of people we go to school with, and we go, if they only had Jesus in their life, imagine the difference. And we have a natural desire for that because it's given to us by God. We see in Matthew chapter number 28, verses 19 and 20, it's known as the Great Commission. The final words recorded in the book of Matthew, spoken by Jesus to his disciples, and through that to you and I today. And it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we see in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, verse 8, we see, but you will receive power, which you like that first part, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we read those things. And when we are in a safe environment like church, we go, yes, we respond with a positive. Yes, we're going to do that. Absolutely. That's what I believe, because I want to see people come to know Christ as the Savior. I want them to have the hope and the joy and the forgiveness of their sins, just like I enjoy. I want them to know hope for today and hope for eternity in heaven one day. And we look at that and then we go, gulp. What am I going to say? But what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? And we naturally have a desire given to us through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to the things of God. But then we have another natural way of responding, which is a natural way of fear and of unknown and of uncertainty. The second natural becomes far stronger than the other. And we go, do you know what? If I just keep my head down and don't think about it, if I don't look at anybody, maybe they won't ask me a question I don't know the answer to. So let's seek to find out what does an unbeliever need to know in order to be saved. And this is a message that's building throughout this series, and this is week number seven of our series, but it's really building upon last week's message. And our principle is this. The Bible teaches me of God's design and mankind's brokenness. There's two things. Last week we talked about God's design. See, we need to make this personal. We need to make this, this is something that I know and I've accepted. The old do as I say, not as I do, does not work here. We see in the book of 1 John chapter number 5, in verse number 13, the encouragement there of this old man who's writing this at the time. His name is John, the apostle John, and he's an elderly man as he's writing these things he's writing them as a grandfather writing to his children and he says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god and here's the goal that you may know that you have eternal life and when we know what we believe 
Therefore, we get to share it with other people. And we get to preach it. Preaching simply means to proclaim. Last week, we talked about God's design. And because God has a design for us, and ultimately the design is that He created you because He says, I'm going to choose to love you. I don't need to make you because I have a a big hole in my heart and I have a need to be worshipped. He says, I'm choosing to create you because I'm choosing to love you. And that totally changes our mindset of ourself and it gives us incredible value. And God, with that love, created us with a plan and with a purpose. You are not some cosmic accident God created you because he said, I want to choose to love you, and I've created you with a purpose. Mankind as a whole, we have a universal purpose. We also, as individuals, have a purpose. And we see in the Word of God, our purpose is broken. Sin has broken us, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the brokenness of mankind. And admittedly, I'm just scratching the surface. But what we're going to walk through today is something very practical, and it's also... It's something, once we visualize how things are in place, rather than going, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to say, we simply talk about the fact that God created the unbeliever with a purpose. God loves the unbeliever. But because of our sin and our brokenness, we've been separated from God. And that's what we're going to jump into this morning. Just a bit of a spoiler, there's really good news next week because we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us as we anticipate and look forward to Easter coming in a couple of weeks' time. But most people live their entire lives without really knowing what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to actually experience hope and joy and peace and happiness. We replace it with many things that seem happy for a period of time and seem like they're going to fulfill us, but ultimately leave us empty because we are filtering everything we do through our brokenness. We can all admit that we live in a broken world where wrong is seen as right and right is seen as wrong. Good as seen as bad, and that's not just 80s talk. Bad is seen as good. We're in our world where people who stand for a historic uh, marriage and historic understanding of the home and the role of, of a man to, to be a, a loving husband and father and present in the, the children's lives is seen as someone backward. And we find throughout the Bible God's design, but we filter it through our brokenness. The book of Isaiah, chapter number 14. The prophet Isaiah gives us a little snippet, a picture into the mind of Satan. And in this mind, I think we can all agree as I read through this, I'm going to say I, 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 I all the way through this. We can certainly see this as we filter it through our broken world. Can we see similarities? This is God quoting Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly on the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most 
high. It's I, 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 I. And our first point today is what does a, an unbeliever need to know? The unbeliever needs to know that we live in a broken world and we live a self-centered life. Man has a natural desire to be self-centered and ignore God's principles for living. Proverbs chapter number 21 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Have you noticed that? And believe me, that's mankind and not just men, okay? Women and ladies, you cannot use that against your husbands. It says, Every way of mankind is right in his own eyes, but... The Lord weighs the heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament, it's a book written by a man named Solomon, who was the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, God had blessed him with incredible wisdom, but he also blessed him with incredible wealth. And Solomon used his knowledge and his wealth to excess in every aspect of his life and in the book of ecclesiastes chapter number two he gives a little resume which i encourage you to read through and compare it to the act of satan saying i will be like the most high because solomon says you know what i tried building great palaces i tried building great gardens I, 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 all the way through, I, he says, I tried parties, I tried women, I tried drugs, I tried absolutely everything under the sun. And it comes to the conclusion, he says, it's empty. And he uses the word vanity of vanities. All is but vanity. I want to learn from Solomon, but I don't want to reproduce his emptiness in his life. I want to learn from his mistakes. I don't want to experience his mistakes myself. We have phrases that we use commonly, and some of you have tried to, to have a swath of generations here with these different phrases, and I'm nothing from the last latest generation because I don't speak TikTok. I just don't understand it. But people say like this, I'll look out for number one. Or they say, do your own thing. Or if it feels good, do it. Or it's my life. I'll do what I please. I remember as a teenager saying that. And now I look back upon it and go, that was dumb. It's my life. I'll do what I please. The Bible calls this attitude of self-centeredness. And I want you to think about this for yourself, but also as we filter it through and look at the world around us and think of the person that God brought to your mind previously. Ultimately, every single sin that we commit is about being self-centered. There's two types of sin. They, they've broken them up into two major categories. There's a sin of omission. And the sin of omission is the things that we are supposed to do that we did not do. We made a choice that we're not going to do things that we we're supposed to do. And there's also, on the other side, there's a thing called sins of commission. And sins of commission is, means things that we willingly did that were sinful. And we can break down everything that we do ultimately to being self-centered. Book of Isaiah, chapter number 53, verse 6. That passage of Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus and his crucifixion. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Self-centeredness. Sin. 
And the Lord has laid on him, that's talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly enjoy talking about sin. I don't particularly enjoy talking about the things that I've done wrong. Like even this morning, hello, nice to see you today. Yes, let me tell you about all my failures this week. Most of you came with a pretty good attitude, and you came smiling, and you said, how are you doing today? And some of you said good. Others of you said even tremendous or wonderful. But none of you came up and go, boy, I'm a stinking sinner today. We don't enjoy talking about that. But you know what? If we don't recognize in our own life and help people understand sin in their own life, that's not listing off all their failures, just simply letting God be God and letting the word of God speak in people's lives. You know what will happen? God will open up doors of opportunity for us to help us bring to the next step. We understand man's self-centered, but what's the result of our self-centeredness? That's our second point this morning. It is the separation from God. Because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness, we have a separation between us and God. There's a great chasm that's between us and our creator God. In the book of Isaiah 59 verse 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That was in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came. And now we go to the book of Romans. Let me give you a quick overview of the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written to a church in a in Rome in the first century. This letter was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Rome was the center of the universe at that time. Everything went, as the old saying was, all roads lead to Rome. Therefore, with Caesar and the way the government was set up, everything revolved around Rome at that time. And there was a church there. And it was a growing and thriving church. But they had some serious things to overcome. Because they were filtering everything that they'd heard about Jesus and the gospel and the new life we enjoy in Christ through the old way of living. And as a result of that, the Apostle Paul writes the beautiful book of Romans. And we encourage you, read through it slowly. And read through it to seek to understand as you read through the book of Romans. Because it gives us a foundation of our salvation and a foundation of our theology. But if you read the first several chapters and stop there, we are hopeless. Because the Apostle Paul is a lawyer by profession. And he begins to write out all the charges of mankind and who we are naturally. Not just the church in Rome, because it's easy to look at those people and go, the Romans did that. We can personalize that. And he ends up with Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And if you stopped here, we go, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all of us are self-centered, we're broken, and there's nothing we can do to reach God's glory. That's another gulp. What are we supposed to do? If you stop reading there, we will be without hope. 
You continue reading, and he then begins to introduce Jesus Christ and our hope for salvation. And then he reiterates it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Go back a couple pages to Romans chapter 6, and in verse number 23. I'm going to focus upon that for a few moments this morning. This is one of those passages, if you just stop in the first part of this verse, we are hopeless. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. I don't think any of us should quote that verse, with, that first part of that verse, with a smile on our face. And if you stop there, if it wasn't a comma after the word death, we would go, well, what's the point? Let's live to the excess, because this is all that we have to live for. This is the end. This time we have here on earth is all we have to live for. Why bother trying to do good things? Let's live for ourselves. For the wages of our sin, the payment for our sin is death. But there's a beautiful word in the middle. And I've joked in the past, and I'll, I'll, someday I will do it. But I want to preach a sermon series on the great butts of the Bible. Because that right there is a great, but because, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it changes absolutely everything. If you went to the doctor and the doctor was giving you some bad news, and you know when you're going to receive bad news because the doctor doesn't come in smiling, he doesn't go, oh, good morning, it's good to see you today, welcome, come on in. Do you want a lollipop? They come in and they're solemn. And normally you get the phone call, the doctor needs to see you. And you make your way in the office and you know that you're nervous. And when the receptionist greets you at the reception, they go, oh, hello, Mr. Nelson. Come sit down. And as you're sitting there in the office waiting and the doctor walks in, they come and they open the file up and you know they're going to give you some bad news. And maybe some of you have experienced that for yourself. And in the pit of your stomach, you can feel it even now of receiving that bad news, whether it's for yourself or for a loved one. And as they're talking about the disease or the illness, you're waiting on the, the butt. You're waiting on, okay, I hear that I have cancer. I hear that I have these illnesses, but there's hope. And if there was no but there's hope. What a horrible diagnosis to receive. The wages of sin is death. Thank God for that but in the middle that says that the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, the wages of sin is death. We're not just talking about our physical death. This is also talking about our spiritual death. If you look through the scriptures, there are far more scriptures talking about hell, which I don't enjoy thinking about or talking about hell. There's far more scriptures warning us of hell than there are encouraging us towards heaven. And I believe it's in scripture that way because we need to recognize where we're going, but for the free gift of God. And as we think about hell, the stereotypical Aussie thing is, oh, I can't wait to go to hell because all my mates will be there and we'll have a great time. We'll enjoy our time together for all eternity. And you look at that and you think, that's so sad because as we read through Scripture, it gives us an understanding. And it's not just the physical pain that we see through Scripture. And it's not just the, the brokenness or the, the, the fire or the, the burning and various things that we see. I believe the worst part of hell, 
and this, I believe this to be based upon scripture, is that people have a consciousness. They remember their sin. They remember their failure. I have loved ones who I love who have died rejecting Christ. So I don't look at this and going, yay, this is horrible. This is a motivation for us. And as we think through the separation from God in all eternity, currently mankind is separated from God spiritually, but we don't have to be. There's an illustration. If you have your bulletin, you're going to see a, an image that's on in your bulletin. And I'm going to give you a little practical homework while we're in church today. In a moment's time, we're going to see a video. But it's several minutes long, and it's going to describe and explain what's known as the bridge illustration. It's only an illustration, but it uses Romans chapter number 6, verse 23, which I have printed out in your bulletin. And I want you to go through this and fill in the blanks as they, they go along through this, because I want you to remember this. And in some practical way this week or in the weeks to come, you might be able to use this illustration. So for the next five minutes, I want you to direct your attention to the screen and get your pen out and start filling out this illustration. There's an easy way to explain the gospel using just one Bible verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The verse says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You can draw a picture. This is called the bridge analogy. You can draw it on a napkin or a piece of paper. And you want to say something like this. Imagine that you're standing on one side of a cliff. You could tell that person there's a separation from you who's on one side of the cliff and on the other side of the cliff where God is. There's a great separation. You might even reference Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, which says that our iniquities and our sins have separated us from God. You could ask the person, if I'm to get to one side to the other, how did I get there? Let the person answer you and they'll tell you, you need a bridge. Then you're going to have this verse written out, Romans chapter 6, verses 23. Start by circling the word wages and ask the person, what is a wage? Listen to them. They might tell you that a wage is something that you earn in exchange for the work that you've done. You might want to clarify this point and say, hey, how would you like it if you worked really hard at your job and then you didn't get paid for it? We would all be ticked off, right? So emphasize what a wage is for the wages of sin. Now ask the person, how do you define what sin is? You might need to help them, but listen to them and see what they say first. But you could say that the sin is anything that we say, think, or do that is not pleasing to God. It is rebellion against God, and they can involve the selfish, unseen inclinations of our heart that goes against God in His ways. Emphasize what sin is. And then circle the word death. For the wages of sin is death. And ask that person, their thoughts about death. Ask them if they've ever lost someone that they truly loved. And you could also emphasize that this is not just physical death, but it's spiritual death. There's a verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that says, For it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. We're all going to die, and we're going to face a judgment before a holy and just God because of our sins. 
ask the person, do you think that you will be guilty or innocent? Emphasize the seriousness of sin. In this moment, you want to circle the word but. You can tell the person, you've heard the bad news, but I want to share with you the good news. But the gift, circle the word gift. Explain to the person that this is a gift. It's not something that can be earned. Contrast this with a wage. You might want to emphasize it by telling a story and saying, suppose that you were to save thousands of dollars to propose to your fiance, and after she said yes to you, she got out her purse and she started giving you a stack of $100 bills. Well, how would you respond to that? Well, you might be offended and think, what I just gave you this gift. Why are you paying me all this money? See, a gift is something that we don't earn, where a wage is something that we do earn. Emphasize the distinction. Also emphasize that this is of God. God is holy. God is perfect. He is the one who loved us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Emphasize eternal life. Talk about how this is contrary to death. You could talk about how eternal life goes on forever and ever, and there's going to be a heaven and there's going to be a hell. Draw a picture of a cross. Explain how Jesus is the bridge. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says this, John chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. You could draw an arrow explaining how now because of Jesus, you can cross over that bridge because the work of his death and resurrection on the cross for your sins. You could then ask the question, would you like to receive God's free gift of eternal life by placing your trust in Jesus Christ right now? I hope that's a helpful tool to you as you begin thinking about our own separation from God and our own natural self-centeredness and the fact that without a person receiving Christ as the Savior, they remain separated from God. We have a self-centered life, a separation from God as a result, and then third is our stuck position. People have problems. We often try many different ways of trying to get out of our problems before we acknowledge our need of God. Have you ever been bogged? You ever been on the beach, bogged, four-wheel drivers? That's why I put a Toyota up there because I'm a Mitsubishi guy. And, and so I know that people like Toyotas never get stuck. Well, apparently they do. And it's a horrible, horrible thing to be stuck. It's a horrible thing to be broken down. Earlier this year, out on the beach, and I have a Pajero, we go out and watch the sunset, and there was a ute a little further down. It wasn't a Toyota, it was a Holden. And it was a little further down, and this young couple were walking towards us as we were watching the sunset go down with my family. And you could tell by this guy, there was some desperation in his eyes. And he goes, I need help. My battery's dead. 
And so he had jumper cables, so we weren't able to jump him. So I ended up putting a strap on the back of my car and pulling him and actually jump-starting him that way and took several attempts to get him going because, first of all, he had his wheels turned the wrong way because he was only 19 years old, graduated high school last year, and the poor guy, the sun was setting. He had a girl with him, and he had to get home quickly, otherwise he was going to get in trouble. And at the end, when his car started and he pulled it up next to me, we unstrapped, he gave me a hug. <laughs> I was like, I know, it's all. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I gave him a hug back, and we, we talked briefly, and I said, whoever well, bumped into you again, I introduced myself to him. But there was a sense of, oh, I was stuck, and I had no idea what to do. And when I got out, I was so relieved, and I had no idea that I had these feelings. In the book of Proverbs chapter number 16, verse 25, talking about a stuck position. There's a way that seems right to man. Its end is the way to death. Even when we, we know our, our deepest need is for God, we often try the wrong way. People try various ways of trying to get unstuck themselves before they cross over the bridge of Jesus Christ. People use excuses like this, the family heritage the amount of times that I've heard people say, of course I'm a Christian. My grandmother was a Christian. And I say, wonderful, your grandmother's a Christian, but what about you? It's kind of like saying this. Because my mother was a surgeon, I am now qualified to perform surgery on you. As ridiculous as that is, that's actually the same thing. Family heritage alone will not save the individual we have sincerity. People will say things like, uh, if I, I, it doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere. And I genuinely feel sorry for people that are sincerely wrong. People say, well, just be a good person. Uh, being a good person is saying, I'm going to stop doing bad things. Or I'll just be a really good person and do good works. Look at all the good things that I've done. And that is, I'm going to start doing good things. There's also a false theology that is becoming far more prevalent in our world around us. And that's the, the theology of universalism. I'm dumping something on you right now that is big, but it's actually very simple. Universalism basically goes and adds all these things together and goes, Do you know what? Eventually we're all going to make it to heaven. And I would love for that to be true, but we don't find that in the Bible at all. In fact, the scripture says quite the opposite. Jesus is exclusive. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The old movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven, is a kind of a cute little kid's movie, but it's a bad theology. So as we go back to that Romans chapter number 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This week, you're going to have opportunity to share this sometime. Something in your conversation, God will probably give you an opportunity to share this. Start talking about the fact that God has a design for every single person. He created us because he loves us. He created us with purpose. But also talk about the separation that we have because of God. And then next week, we'll talk specifically about the wonderful salvation we receive through Jesus Christ.